0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Vision. Yes, again, this is Bradley Limer hosting you with an old friend. Uh, I say "old" uh, very respectfully because I think Steve and I are probably the same uh, age. But uh, Stephen Ramirez, the CEO of Beyond the Arc, many of you know. Beyond the Arc is a consulting group that serves the breadth of the financial services ecosystem, technology, and media firms, and much, much more, which he'll tell us about. So, so Stephen. For those listeners who may not have had the pleasure of meeting you yet, can you tell us about your background and what you and your team do for clients at Beyond the Arc?
1: Well, Bradley, first, thank you for having me, and uh, no, I'm not feeling old, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but, it's,
0: especially after uh... pandemic, right? We feel pretty good, solid. <laughs>
1: But, uh, you know, just a quick, uh, quick, quick background. I spent uh, a lot of time at Berkeley, both for my undergraduate degree and for graduate school. And, you know, I think that what that, that probably sort of instilled in me just a, a core curiosity on one hand and the desire to just really be challenged by difficult problems on the other and i think that that and and i think maybe a third is to work collaboratively with people and those have been themes that have uh you know infused themselves you know in my life and in my work and and i think that those are those are some of the things that Pull our team together uh, as we work with you know clients in financial services and fintech, you know, to to solve really difficult challenges that that inevitably focus around the customer.
0: Well, and, and so what kind of engagements do you do? I know that you've been doing this with Beyond the Arc. You're going to have to tell us about the name a little bit because I actually don't even know this story. Um, so you've been doing this for twenty some odd years. So so where did you start? Like, what kind of things do you do with your clients, and, and what is the name all about?
1: All right. Well, let's, let's start with the name because I think that that's the, that's the, the, that's the more fun story. And so, you know, I, I, I think that the official, the official cover story is that, uh, you know, it's about helping companies grow. Faster than the typical growth arc, right? So it's beyond the arc. You know, of course, though the real reason is just the you know the affinity for the outside shot, you know, taking a chance, doing something, doing something spectacular. And uh, and I think as we've seen, being able to do that repeatedly, right? If we repeatedly do that, you know, to take the amazing shot. You know, I think that I think that that's something. And and in fact, we have, you know, Bradley. If I think about the the clients that we've worked with over this top, you know, over the over the course of twenty years. I mean, we've had the we've had the great fortune to work with some of the you know the fortune Fortune 100, two of the top five banks, you know, community banks, uh, fintech companies, companies leading in other areas. I mean, if you look at the, sort of who we've worked with, it really has been it really has been pretty spectacular. So so I just it's just a, I, I approach it with just a lot of a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of excitement.
0: So in terms of you know the type of things it's like you know the growth i like this idea of beyond the arc now because i'm thinking like the warriors and, and shooting three pointers and that kind of stuff so you're the you're the steph curry of fintech and financial services <laughs> oh is that, is that good
1: <laughs> you have done it again bradley there you go
0: <laughs> so so you're, you're you're focused on a lot of um data analytics customer experience type of projects strategic planning these type of things um from what i've seen uh, and talked to you about I, I, what's, what's the biggest difference in, in what your clients are looking for, you know, now versus maybe pre pandemic? And have those things changed the way that you're helping with them?
1: Yeah. So, so I think core to our, you know, core to the way that we help clients, you know, there's sort of three main pillars that I think about. I think that one, it starts with, with strategy. Uh, I think the second is translating that strategy into, uh, into content and into messaging. And then as you said, also using the data to be able to uh, drive, you know, drive insights through data science. And if I think about how particularly like the strategy has evolved, you know, so we have, we've really were, Uh, kind of early pioneers in what has evolved into customer experience. And we've been involved in the customer experience, you know, sort of association from the very beginning. And I think that when we did the customer experience work, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, customer experience in financial services was about, um, you know, understanding customer complaints. It was about, it was about um, making processes simpler. it was about uh, you know sort of using customer feedback to improve the experience. you know and I think that maybe the number one change is how customer experience and and fintech have really you know have really melded, right? And so now the way that we think about shaping a customer experience is through fintech and Fintech strategy. And I think that that is probably the biggest uh, sort of change that I've seen in in the industry over the course of the last uh, you know five years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I
0: mean, I, I I think about, you know, building apps and building websites and running marketing campaigns and the like, and the touch points that we have with our customers, you know, compared to what it was five, 10 years ago, even, is is pretty impressive. And I would imagine that, you know, those digital touch points, if you're within inside one of these fintechs or banks, or credit unions, and what have you that, that over the last couple of years became even that much more difficult. Because those digital channels became increasingly so important uh, when we couldn't see each other face to face. Because there's still banking that that happens face to face. You know, there's still problems that happen when you know people run into something that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so talking a little bit about um, sort of the the state of banking and the state of financial services, what what gets you most excited about what you're seeing lately?
1: Well, so the, the work that we're doing, uh, most recently is, um, is actually working with uh, some of the legacy banks and, and financial institutions, you know, as they reconceive, you know, how do they go to market, right. And so, you know, for example, if you are a bank, you have you have a, a portfolio of, you know, sort of tried and true, you know, financial solutions that people genuinely need. Um, however, I think that there's, an, of course, this this uh, transformation in terms of new options that I you know that customers have. And so, so for example, if you are a credit card issuer, um, how how do you position what you have to offer versus new, you know, sort of payment platforms? You know, how do how how do you want people to think about your credit card in light of the new plethora of payment options that they have? And so, I think that there's a lot of great work to be done to think about how these how these legacy products you know sort of move forward
0: you know one of the things that we've talked a lot about um is embedded banking and open banking and sort of open data standards and just you know like you're saying there's there's so many more options now but we still have you know a, a long ways to go before this business model you know has evolved to the place where we're not surprised on the daily basis do you think you know the ability to partner uh because of it things like embedded banking is going to be so much more critical for the future of some of your clients' success?
1: Oh, I think that, um, you know, Broadly, fintech partnership, I think, is actually, is absolutely uh, critical. And we've done a lot of work in this area to try to develop some frameworks for how banks, you know, really what should banks think about when they, uh, when they want to engage with a fintech partner? Uh, and I think that it absolutely comes together uh, in the, in terms of embedded, embedded banking and embedded payments. Um, you know, Bradley, what, what I think really interests me in that question is, you know the business model part i think I, I see lots of conversation about it but i i think it's less i think it's less clear uh how that really how that scales from a business perspective because i think that on the fintech side of the uh, on the side of the equation there's a very clear understanding of what embedded banking might mean however i think that for if you will sort of like the clients of embedded banking or those or those who would embed banking in their services I don't think they have a way of thinking about this, right? I don't think that they really if I if I'm running some other kind of business, I'm not necessarily seeing how payments can lead to revenue for my company. And so I think from a from a partnership perspective, it's it's working through those business models. You know, I don't I don't know if you have a take on that, but I think that I think that the business model part, it's it, we're we're past the technology part, but it's it's down to how is how is this come together as a series of business models.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, when when you think about it, I mean, there's really nothing in banking and payments. And, you know, it's it's like from consumer to corporate to wholesale banking, there's really not a technology partner that cannot sort of embed the piece of banking into another application, you know, regardless of the scale of the business, you know, it could be a mom and pop shop selling coffee, or it could be a large corporate moving, you know, trillions of dollars uh, a day across some sort of wire the way the banking has been delivered is absolutely changing. Uh, And so, you know, that's a great point. You know, people don't think about that. It's like, okay, the technology's here, now what? And create business models, you know, but sometimes it it almost feels like they're being built on the fly. You know, it's like, oh, this is an opportunity. Let's dive into the pool. So what's the long-term implication for that? If, you know, banking, you know, becomes such a service that, the banking part disappears and it's just part of the workflow you know well what's the purpose of a bank then? you know in the long run so
1: yeah yeah and and, and you know to extend on that idea i think that in, and what i've seen in it from the embedded banking is that uh there are of course first of all an uh, an increasing number of of banks who want who want to now provide this service, right? So there are now many more providers of embedded banking. Um, And and they think that their target is selling that to you know, fintechs and, and startup companies, right? Like that that's who they see as their client. Um, but they're really not kind of extending the thought sort of down to the to, to the end user and understanding how those banking, you know, how those banking products are going to actually be used and what it means, what it means to the to the customer ultimately. And so I, I think as a result, um it's it's not with a lot of clarity around how you know how revenue is generated at a sufficient scale throughout this entire ecosystem right i think that there's i think that there's some uh some great opportunities you know which means someone will figure it out some some number of people will figure it out and it will and it will really translate uh to you know to to significant revenue
0: and i think you know you and i have discussed this a bit but it's like it, it, you don't have to be a cross river you know to to be involved in what embedded banking and the opportunities around it really are becoming you don't have to be, you know, a large Sinctera or unit or something like that to enable uh, some of these platforms to really go into new ways of building this business out. Um, it's, it's really about looking around your community and looking at the clients and customers and members that you have within your financial institution and looking at that opportunity from a different angle. What can I do through a partner that I'm not doing today to service these customer needs? And so that's what's really, really interesting. And I think, you know, there's a lot of progressive uh, financial institutions out there that are trying to figure that all out. And I think it's a huge opportunity to work with them to understand, you know, where that could go. Um, so switching gears a little bit, because we're talking about, you know, embedded banking and open banking and open data and all these things and what it's going to open up. But a, a lot of what you do involves the way data analytics can help the human workflows as well. You know, you, you sit with your clients and you look at the things to improve experiences and, and the like. Banking and payments and what have you, everything that we do, has a lot of impact in our daily, daily lives. So when I've been thinking about this lately, it's like, has all this technology within financial services, you know, or other places, um, evolved to make our lives better? Are they more helpful in the long run? Whether it be in human relationships or areas like financial inclusion, or have some of those benefits sort of been out by some of the negatives? Like, what's your take on technology, and could have sort of what's been going on lately?
1: I think that um, technology, I think that we're at a point with technology and financial services where we have great potential, right? I think that I think that, Uh, financial services, you know, kind of in an earlier in an earlier generation was had very limited access, meaning you couldn't get that, you know, there were very few options. If you let's say if you wanted to start a business, you know, your ability to get capital, you had a you had a very slim number of places that you could go to be able to start a business. There were no, you know, the there were no cabbages of the day where you could just kind of on demand, be able to get, you know, sort of uh, in, in, in minutes from your desktop, you know, get 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 financing to expand your business, right? So I think that there's been tremendous potential in terms of what uh what technology you know can deliver. I, I think that t- truthfully, I think that the the jury is still out, right? I, of course there are some downsides to that. Um, and so you know how do we how do we evaluate that? I mean I, I certainly think that that openness and access, you know, have been have been tremendous. But it's not without it's not without some trade-offs. So interested in your take on that. I mean, what do you think? Is is there a you know? Do you see a kind of a, a net positive?
0: Oh, always the interviewer. And and for people that know Stephen, he's uh, <laughs> he's always at these events <laughs> and always like asking the probing questions. So I should I, should, I, I have just been have more questions. For this. I, I,
1: think, I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning, right? I've just got this curiosity to to understand how these dynamics are playing out.
0: I do think that um, I, I think on the whole, technology certainly has improved things, especially within financial services around access. But you know, as we wrote, around, you know, about in Beyond Good and all the time, really writing and speaking about is that access is is not really how you should measure inclusion. You know, to me, inclusion means that you're helping optimize people's finances and the opportunities around it. And and while to your point, I think starting a business and gaining capital. Has dramatically changed over the over the years. Uh, just in the last five or ten years, think about, you know, it's it's from everything from M-Pesa. Up, you know, this idea of micro payments and micro uh, credit has really changed the world in ways. I mean, you could start a business in some geographies for fifty dollars, you know, or or ten dollars, depending on what you are buying and selling. And those things, you know, the access into that capital is is a huge difference maker in terms of people's livelihoods. And so, you know, you're, you're right. It's like things have changed for the better in so many ways. When I think about technology and the worst part, it's always going to come back to sort of the social technologies and sort of the, you know, this, this idea of uh, f- fake or incorrect information sort of propagating people's ideas and sort of breaking and bifurcating societies and these types of things. That I think that alongside maybe the Using people's data, their personal data to target them for ads, and sort of that that model becoming predominant. I mean, isn't there more to it? Uh, and so that's why you know i I do you know think that there's there's give and takes to everything. Um, technology is just one huge component of our lives, but it shouldn't be the most important thing in our lives. And so that's uh, yeah, well. I-
1: I I definitely agree. And and I think that, you know, where you where you took that, particularly in terms of the the data, right, and what the data means for, you know, for people, I think that that is, I think that that is really, truly significant. I mean, I really, I really believe that, um, you know, data is what fuels the ability to deliver a personal experience, right? You cannot deliver a truly personalized experience without the data. And I think that I think a personalized experience means more than just, you know, Filling in the right the right fields in a mass email blast, right? Like that's not personalization. You know, I think that personalization is really truly uh, an understanding of. You know what your needs are as a person. Uh, being able to uh, to truly understand your recent behaviors, uh, understand what some some likely scenarios might be for you, and to suggest some uh, suggest some some outcomes. Right. So I think it's about having this sort of predictive capability that provides insights that allow kind of a tailoring of what is of what what's available. Right. So I think that these I think that these are some of the things that we're just starting to scratch the surface on and i think that that's where where data can have a huge you know kind of have a huge upside i mean i I think that the kind of the downside there is is actually sort of in a different area and that is just the tremendous ease of which you know now you can uh perpetrate fraud identity theft you know and and what it means to have that much uh, that much data about people and kind of the negative consequences from that and i think that 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 causes not only kind of the short-term uh, sort of harm, but but I'll, but I'll tell you, I mean, I I had a identity theft uh, incident that occurred more than twenty years ago that yeah. I still feel the impacts of today. Right, uh-huh. I still it still pops up every you know twelve to eighteen months, and so I, I think that data and the ability to know a lot about people and their needs is positive, but of course there are these you know there are these uh, you know sort of vulnerabilities that that data you know create create as well.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I was thinking about um, if, if you know, like the TikTok graph, which is so good at like knowing, you know, what interests you and those type of things or, or you know, back in the day, maybe Instagram before it was ruined and Facebook and all these others. If if that kind of algorithm, you know, approach to content could be applied to your banking experiences. And, and I think, you know, with the super apps with Anchor and Tencent and others, I think they're they're trying to sort of, you know, combine commerce and activities around your banking, which is one sort of way maybe that that money graph uh, is being tapped into. But just in terms of experiences, you know, there's so much information that we now use for alternative credit scores and these types of things. It's, it's not always for a financial product, but it could be around preferences. You know, it could be connecting you to products one day. It could be the next day, you know getting you a sense of how to improve your income or how to tap into you know something that interests you that is something that is being shown by your money graph you know your financial data because the 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 way that I look at at you know how financial institutions can sort of improve their relationship with their customers and their members and their clients is by leveraging that data to improve someone's life in a lot of different ways and if you tap into that money graph, you know those financial transactions tell you more than anything on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram will ever tell you. So there's a there's a lot still to tap into in this space.
1: Well, and as you say that, I mean, I, I can't help but think about MoveIn and uh, mm-hmm. and prior conversations with uh, Brett King. You know, and I, and I think that that I think that of course he's you know he nailed that you know several years ago now. But I I think it is this you know the kind of this coming together of. You know, many different factors, you know, data, identity, needs, products, you know, as you as you describe it, kind of the money graph. I mean, it really is it's 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 this, it's it intersects on many on many levels. And and, you know, it's not as when, when Brett first started to, you know, talking about it to give him props, I think that that was really, it was one of the, the first to sort of, you know, sort of put that out there as an idea. Well, now I think we're seeing it as a reality, right? Like mm-hmm. now it's actually, now it's actually playing out. And, uh, and, and I, and I do think that it's, uh, it's creating new opportunities, both for both, particularly for fintech players right now. But I think that for, for, for banks and credit unions and other legacy FIs, I, I think that the potential is there is as well, um, but but are they going to grab it? And that and that's really I keep coming back to that. It's like I, I'm I'm excited by the innovation that um, that fintechs and startups are driving. Um, I'm also I'm also working hard with some of the other players to see if if there's an opportunity to also spark innovation in some of those organizations.
0: Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Brett and and the folks that we're building moving with him. You know, Mike Degnan, Alex Sion, and those. Um, they really did tap into what would eventually, I think, filter into other applications. And so we, we, we see younger founders now who probably have no clue about that and Simple and some others that really you know, laid some of the groundwork for the way that we look at experiences. But I, I tell you, you know, tapping into the money graph to do more than just sell financial products is really, that, that's a huge opportunity. And I think embedded banking to sort of tie in partnerships that are non-financial in nature could be really, really interesting for some of the ways that the business model could go. So, you know, I, I think that that you're going to have a lot more clients uh, coming to you saying, "What what could we do? Who could we partner with? And how could we differentiate ourselves? And how could we really make you know a difference in our community in a new way?" Um, so, so kind of going along those lines uh, and switching gears just a little bit, uh, you have some really interesting things in your background. You know, most notably sometime teaching, as you've said, and uh, going to uh, my alma mater as well at UC Berkeley. Uh, but you've also spent some years working in the film industry and the arts and some of those things. Um, I want to hear more about that. And I want to hear about whether or not you think a background in liberal arts uh, helps you think differently in this industry that is leveraging so much of that technology and so much data. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about that part of your life.
1: Yeah, so so Bradley, uh, you know, I, I just had a I just had a phenomenal experience uh coming out of you know, coming out of uh out of school and out of graduate school. You know, my, my first real job was working for uh 20th Century Fox. And uh and I and I, you know, just got the dream job of working in the, you know, working in uh marketing and distribution in the movie business, you know, on an international level, right? Like so so really getting the opportunity to travel internationally, to uh represent uh the company and to and to introduce films in different markets i mean it was really you know the experience itself
0: fanboy i'm going to stop you for a second (laughs) who are some of the celebrities that you like been around like seriously
1: you know so so when i worked at, at warner brothers i mean you really would you really would see them, you know, on the, on the studio lot. And so, you know, it was, it was at a time, I mean, George Clooney and Denzel Washington, uh, you know, you see as just a series, like whoever was in, whoever was basically filming movies would be on the lot. (laughs) You would really just see them in the cafeteria. George Clooney actually would play basketball with a bunch of the guys, you know, on the lot until he like sprained his ankle and the insurance people said, yeah, you're done with that. but uh, but you know i'll tell you it was a fantastic experience and what it, the the one thing that's a really interesting dynamic many interesting dynamics in the film business but one is that it's a hit driven business right it's really you know you you have you release 20 to 30 products a year um you know 27 of those are going to be are, are going to break even at best the reality is most are going to fail but you're going to have one or two that makes so much money that it doesn't matter what else you did it, like it forgives all other things because you've got one or two that make up for everything i think the other part to it is that you have these these products cannot come together without amazing um creative vision and brilliance right it really is like that is it's just this it's very difficult slash next to impossible to systematically reproduce, but you've just got this creative brilliance that drives that product, right? I I found a lot of uh, parallels to, you know, what we see in the, in the upper tiers of technological innovation, right? That's, that's, Actually, how it works with technology, too, right? You have these, you have these amazing creative visionaries who are able to create these, these fantastic breakthroughs, you know, and that comes from, that comes from some special place that is not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not easily repeatable. And so I feel like that early training and exposure to working with really talented, you know, special people, um, who, by the way, are high maintenance right? So, like that all that all like that all checks Hollywood out from, high maintenance? From, well and, and and fintech and technology also high maintenance right D- so D-
0: different kind of you know high maintenance i've never seen like you know someone not uh, in
1: t- not necessarily i will tell you not someone in the fintech
0: stage or the, the the banking clients like ask for like blue MMs or something like that before like, they uh, you,
1: some, you know i'm not sure you know again i'm not i'm not so sure that that's not <laughs> the, that that's not the case um and and i do think that you know you you asked about you know sort of the the liberal arts and and i absolutely think that um the liberal arts is is a that is one of the things that helps you to draw these synthesis, you know, to synthesize, to bring things together in very creative and interesting ways. I mean, of course, you know, the, the sort of an engineering mindset brings a certain discipline to solving problems. But I think that a liberal arts mindset brings a certain, you know. Out of the box thinking that comes from, it doesn't just come from nowhere. It comes from, you know what? I picked up on some really interesting idea that this writer wrote in the 17th century. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh yeah, I remember this circumstance from something in art history, right? Like those are those, those kinds of dynamics really can be channeled into business strategy into innovation, into driving change, into getting stakeholders on board, like all of these things, like ultimately, it really does speak to the universality of the human experience, right? It's like that, that yeah. all those things come together. That's what I think liberal arts thinking is about.
0: You know, I think about where we went to school and uh, Berkeley's really good about sort of forcing you to do non-technical, you know, classes and training, you know, during your experience, especially the first two years. And I I had so many different places that I was almost going instead of going to, you know, finish at Haas and the the history classes that I took and the mass communications classes. And, you know, I even took like the the history of Soviet economics is part of my economic um, requirements. And. You know, I, I think it is important for people to dive into the arts and to spend time writing and thinking and taking philosophy classes and these types of things because it does change, you know, your mindset. Um I was reading the other day that they say that people that read fiction have more empathy. And the more you you know sort of read different types of books, uh, not just nonfiction, not just news, not just, you know, scrolling along on TikTok and what have you, the more that it kind of opens your mind to, to new thinking. And I think it does you know when you're sitting in a in a room full of bank executives and you're trying to sort of explain you know what's going on in the market and that was a lot of the roles that I've spent in the last you know five ten years doing um it's 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 people that have to get out of their own mindset you know they have to get sort of outside yeah. of themselves and and that's what I think you know that liberal arts degree or the liberal arts sort of training allows you to do <clears throat> and and the fact that you know in my, my early years inside financial institutions, I was very responsible for all of the marketing and all of the sort of communication with customers and members. And, you know, I went from a very analytic data-driven sort of role into this, I have to then make HELOCs interesting and sexy uh, so that okay. someone would click or someone would like take that. And so, you know, it does take a little bit of a, a broad mind, uh, I think, to, to solve these sort of broad problems. Well, you know,
1: and and just on that, if I if I can if I can jump in on that, I think that right now in financial services, like that thinking is is more critical than ever right as we as we have exited this you know kind of uh kind of static environment where financial services was largely the same for the last 50 to 80 years Amen. right that period ended about 10 years ago right and now this you know kind of first chapter of this new era it requires you know radically different thinking about how people you know all of the core not just how they bank but just yeah. like just the core ideas how do they accumulate wealth how do they share that how do they how do they how do they spend it how, you know all of all of the all of the needs that get expressed through financial services like wow now is the time to think and to be able to channel that big picture into you know one of the things i've always been it's always been important to me is to channel from the big picture down to the tactical like let's make it happen right and i think that and i think that that's a special as you're as you're alluding to i think that's a very special skill to take it and make it you know apply that thinking to driving the next generation of what is you know what what is what's what's Helock 2.0 right or 3.0 i don't think there's been a lot of discussion about that but but clearly i think that's up next
0: Well, it's, it's tokenized digital assets of physical goods. I mean, you know, yeah, that's, that's a mouthful. But how do you sell that? Um, so, so let's let's kind of get get wrapping here. I I do want to touch base about you know fintech conferences and the fact that you know in inhuman events <laughs> are starting to come back you and i saw each other of course at finnovate spring um but you know a lot of people are now headed back to Money 2020 digital banking vc innovations and what's happening with you know with their embedded banking show in san francisco at the end of the year in, in so many ways you know when we go to these events it's it's like seeing family again you know i i associate you and so many people with these events and it's like when when we see each other normally it's Five, ten 15 times a year and it, we've been missing that um, talk about you know maybe those events and coming back and, and the the part of the events that you speak at um, how do you see those conferences evolving and you know we're coming out of this pandemic and now we're Dealing with monkeypox and Lord knows what else. Um, Are we going to continue to see people? Like, how
1: do you think Yeah, I I, I am optimistic about that. But, you know, one thing I'll, I'll tell you, and I'm interested, again, in your take on this, but I actually believe that from a from a fintech perspective the gather i i I've, I've taken to calling it the fintech ecosystem right and and what that really means is it is this in person connection you know person to person it is personal fintech is personal and so i think that the uh going to conferences and being a part of events and being a part of you know webinars and podcasts and and, and these these interactions they're not just interactions uh around or associated with fintech they actually are a really critical part of fintech and and I actually as i advise clients and work on projects you know i often talk about the role of this community in shaping what fintech actually is and how it evolves so i think that it's not just a sideline it's not just a place where we kind of go and talk about it it really is the it's the I don't know, the kind of the breeding ground of where FinTech kind of evolves and where it comes together. And I think that Finnovate is a great example, right? I mean, you sit there and over a course of two days, you see, you know, 50 or 60 companies, you know, present new ideas and new innovations, right? That that you, that you has to lead to, you know, sort of, and, and it happens in that moment, right? It's like, I don't know about you, I've tried to like view 50 or 60 YouTube videos from those presenting companies, it's not the same so there's something about that in-person connection that really connects the dots in fintech and leads to the next wave of what you know sort of sort of what you'll actually see in the industry so i do think it's a critical i do think it's a critical part and and i do find that the in-person part is an essential aspect like we weren't able to reproduce it very well you know through the digital platforms you know i think it's something really that does come together you know by people by this community this ecosystem actually actively interacting
0: yeah absolutely i I think you know the idea of sitting there in the audience and seeing something for the first time is a different aha than seeing it on the screen because you treat it like it's on the screen it's kind of like you know reading a physical physical book versus reading a digital book you know it there's a different sort of level of of it being tangible in the way that your mind perceives it and sort of grabs it. Um, just as there's a difference in having a Zoom meeting or, or equivalent and having that in-person conversation. Like you and I have started having, you know, these lunches or breakfasts or coffees. And I tell you, man, I I, I missed that. You know, I missed that sort of personal interaction with people and just it, the spontaneity of it. I mean, yeah, you could have a call where you're going back and forth and it could be something like this. and. You know, it's it's great to kind of share that way, but it's just there's something different. It is it is very similar to <clears throat> reading a physical book and, and reading a digital book. And you know, maybe that's that's part of it. It's it's what's tangible. Um so so getting into to to that and kind of closing up shop, you know, you've been reading anything really interesting. I, I picked up this book called The Fight to Save the Town, um, which is about how we sort of re-carve out the downtown areas and rethink how um, businesses and people sort of live together in some of these towns, from Detroit to smaller ones, and especially the smaller ones, um, because physical is so much different now. And Amazon and Walmart have put so many small, you know, physical um, corporations, small businesses, out of business because you know people just aren't going to these places anymore physically. You're you're ordering everything online. And it's, you know, that sort of evolution of the way that businesses are formed is really fascinating to me. So there are a lot of people that are sort of rethinking physical community spaces. And, you know, I, I try to read a little bit of everything. You know, I try to read fiction. Sure. I try to write in fiction. I try to write everything as well. And, and, and it improves your thinking. So what, what have you been reading lately? What's, what's on your mind?
1: Well, I was so glad that you mentioned earlier just like the value of reading fiction because I'm like, oh my God, I've not read any business books. What am I going to talk about? Oh, that's good. <laughs> don't read business books but but what i have been reading actually is i've actually been rereading uh the dune series uh so dune is something that i read as a, as a as a teenager yeah, right since how and, is it and, now? And, and it has a, such a different it has such a different meaning and and i'll tell you the key things that i like w- why i've decided to continue reading all whatever seven or eight books in the series is it's this idea you know first and foremost of the, the cult of personality and truly charismatic you know leader and and what that, and what effect that that has on all the followers, right? And what the followers, you know, the level of extremism that the followers, you know, sort of rise to in following these, you know, and kind of trying to uh, aspire to these high ideals, you know? So uh, some very interesting and obvious parallels to current events. And so I found it, yeah. uh, I found it uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, those so who that's... control the space
0: control the universe. <laughs> Hopefully they won't drag Sting out and all those crazy characters. I know you know, I actually haven't seen the, the latest movie, uh, so I need to see uh, that one as well. Kind of Going back to your film stuff, uh, that's, next time we talk, I want to talk more about film stuff because that's really fascinating. <laughs> I actually didn't even know that until I looked this up and I've known you for like, I don't know, 15 years or more. Um, so, so final question here, uh, and, and this has been fun. Um, what, what brings you hope? What brings you hope for a better future?
1: You know, I think that um, what brings me hope is I I really do feel that in the course of the last uh, year or two, um, we have started to come to grips uh, as a as a country and globally um, about the fact that so many people have been excluded systematically from opportunities um, in so many ways, large and small, right? And I think that I think that we were cognizant in, as a society of the large exclusions, right? You know, things egregious cases like segregation. Uh, but I think that the I think that the more I think that the more minor, you know, sort of uh, Accumulation of microaggressions uh, is something that that is is new language for a lot of for a lot of people, and I think that we're we're beginning new dialogues and trying and and making conscious efforts to change. And I see this very clearly if you, if you see my feed in LinkedIn where I where I have so many bankers, for example, that I'm working with. If I look at the at the Change in profile and background in a, in a new generation of financial services leadership. Um, there's quite a few changes, not just demographically, but also where these people are coming from in terms of prior experiences. So, so I do think that that's exciting, both from a society perspective, but I also see that kind of in a in a financial services context. I will note, however, I'm not yet seeing that in a fintech <laughs> context. Uh, so, there's still some opportunity on the on the on the tech and startup side for a little bit more of that inclusion.
0: Well, and, and and don't even talk about sort of the web3 crypto world because there's definitely a uh, higher higher indexed uh, male component, young male component. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> yes. very excited about, you know, bitcoin prices and what have you. Um well, Stephen, this has been really really good to uh, talk with you. We finally got you on the show. Uh so so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh and thank you all for listening. We will see you next week on another episode of One Vision.